We reach uh, part seven of our series where we're talking about loving without agenda. Um, now, with most of these kind of things, I'm sure there's different weeks where uh, things resonate with some people more than others. Um, depends on how your relationships work. But I suppose what we've tried to do is say, actually, um, if that, that phrase that Bob Goff talks about is true, uh, love with an agenda isn't love, then actually applying an understanding of what agenda looks like in all of these different areas of our life is really important because what we don't want is an agenda getting in to any of our connections and spoiling any of them. So obviously we've looked at wider connections, so our neighbours, our work colleagues, we've looked at close connections, so uh, our friends and those closest to us. Then we've looked at core connections, which is loving yourself without an agenda and loving God without an agenda was last week. Uh, and then now these final two weeks, we're moving on to looking at distant connections. Uh, and distant connections are interesting because um, sometimes they are, they are naturally distant connections. And sometimes they are manufactured distance. Okay, so next week we'll look at what we described as manufactured distance, which is um, people that you struggle with, or in, to coin a, a phrase that the Bible sometimes talks about, your enemies, which isn't something we would normally go, oh yeah, I don't really talk to that person, they're an enemy of mine, <laughs> which would be a great way of, uh, maybe we could introduce that. Um, but, but we don't really talk like that, but actually there are people who we struggle with for all sorts of different reasons. Han's going to be talking about that next week. Um, but for this week, we're looking at uh, the first part of distant connections, which is loving strangers. Now, we don't really, strangers is a negative term, so we're not really going to talk about it in terms of strangers as in stranger danger. Um, we're going to talk about it in terms of people that we just don't know. Okay, um, so when we're talking about strangers. And we're talking about this whole idea of relationship and loving without agenda. Our focus in relationships is usually hinged on one key piece of information, and that is relationships are defined by the fact that we know someone, that we know people. So when we begin to look at it and say, okay, what about people that we don't know? Um, it, it becomes a little bit challenging. And the fact is, everyone is different, aren't they? We feel different, we want different things, people like different stuff. We are unique. So we're not going to connect with every single person and, and we're not really required to connect with every single person. But as a result of that, um, our values and our principles and our approach to life can be different. So what happens quite naturally in the world is there are people who are close to you and are friends with you and you relate to and have a relationship with and there are people that you don't um, relate to. And I think sometimes because we're all different, some of us probably feel more inclined to be more distant than others. Um, uh, maybe the comfort of keeping ourselves to ourselves means that we are less likely to go and try and connect with people that we don't know. And, and there's no criticism there. It's just everyone's different. Some people naturally are um, complete socialites and want to meet as many people as possible and get to know as many people as possible. Other people would prefer to have a small, kind of carefully selected group of friends who they know and trust and love and really impact their lives in a positive way. Um, and sometimes when you look at it, this whole idea of people that you don't know or, or strangers... Sometimes it can feel like it's an intrusion to try and connect with those people that, that 
what would someone think if I was to try and build a relationship with someone that I have no need to have a connection or relationship with? I want to show you, um, this is where I, I become um, a youth worker again. Uh, I want to show you a little video clip because I saw this a few years ago and I absolutely love it. Um, but it's, it's talking about the difference between people and the different approach that people have and how it can be received differently by other people. So if you've seen it, I uh, hope you enjoy it, but um, this is brilliant. Okay. The northerner has been accused of terrorising London by walking around saying hello. <laughs> Generic northerner Stephen Malley left Londoners traumatised by his attempts to interact with them in a friendly, cheerful manner. Here's Nathan with more. Malley arrived here at Oxford Circus at 9.32 this morning. He had already said hello to several people en route from King's Cross Station, leaving worried commuters unsure why a man they did not know was talking to them. <laughs> he made direct eye contact uh, and then said, Morning. Because I thought, well, is this just a statement? Because I mean, it was the morning, but no, something in his tone suggested this was a greeting. Mally was apprehended by London police who were forced to let him go as friendliness to strangers is not a crime until next year. <laughs> Outside the station, Mally gave a statement. Where I come from, it's okay to greet strangers or comment to them about the weather. I did not know the customs of London and I apologise if I offended anyone. I did not mean to be happy. I'm going back on the train now. And Nathan, what should Londoners do if approached by a northerner? Headphones on, head down, and avoid eye contact. They are generally friendly, but they will headbutt if cornered. <laughs> Brilliant. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a situation where it's where your way of doing stuff, your principles, the way you look at things. It's just completely different. I re I've really found it since moved out to a village that people are just entirely different in the way I do it. I don't know if you, you guys have done both city and village. Mm. And the etiquette in the village is just completely different. And I love it because you walk down the street and it would be weird if someone didn't say hello to you. Whereas in the city, even just, even just two miles in, people just don't look up and wouldn't want to do that kind of thing. So it's funny, isn't it? The idea that we would um, speak to and connect with strangers, for some, is a complete alien concept. You wouldn't even... It is nothing to do with you. Why would you even try? And for other people, it's just part of their daily life that because you walk past someone, they are in your world. So why don't I treat them like they're a part of my day? Um, I, <laughs> I saw that a few years ago. I, I just absolutely love it. Um, it's probably very strangely true. Uh, although when I did search for it, there's loads of comments underneath it going, well, I've lived in London for a while and people do, do say hello. <laughs> just thought, oh, come on. It's just a joke. Um, so when we're thinking about this stuff, this whole idea of loving uh, people that we don't know without an agenda, what we've looked at each week is what is our unique role with people that we don't know? So we, we've, looked at, we've looked at this with every single connection and every single relationship. What's our unique role? What is required of us in those kind of things? And the reality is with distant connections, especially with people that we don't know, there is no clear role or responsibility because you don't know them. 
Even if you don't know them, how do you know anything about them? Or how do you know what they might need or, or what's going on in their life? So there's a distance there which creates this dilemma of how can I be the answer to someone's problem um, if I don't know anything about their life? So th- that question, what's our unique role with people that we don't know, is the hardest question to ask because there is no role because we don't actually know them. And then when we look at agenda, what often happens is agenda enforces that distance in the relationship or in a lot of cases in the lack of that relationship. Um, and it makes it someone else's problem. That's what agenda does. When agenda comes into relationships between us and people that we don't know, it distances ourselves from them and it makes it someone else's problem. And we can come up with a load of excuses, a whole range of excuses as to why we shouldn't be the person to act in that situation if someone that we don't know potentially does need help. Sometimes we'll look at a scenario and go, we don't want to intrude. Um, how might that person feel or respond if I, as a random stranger, was to come in and offer to help or support someone? Um, you don't want to step on someone's toes. Um, and actually, a lot of the time, you look at it, and, and I found myself rationalising uh, no action at all by going, well, surely someone else is going to step in and meet the needs of that person if, if there's a problem. Um, or that whole stepping on their toes. You, you kind of get this sense of, but surely there's family or friends around them and maybe they'll, they'll, they'll kind of step in and do some, do some stuff if someone needs help. And then what can happen is we can then develop a contentment to be at a distance and then play on our lack of knowledge as a reason for why we wouldn't step in. Uh, now, I'm not saying for any moment that what we should do is be intruding in every single person's life. Um, but actually, I think you'll see where we're going with this. It's about this understanding, a wider understanding and about a balance. So we're going to read um, a little passage uh, in the Bible, which is the greatest example um, of this is the Good Samaritan story. We looked at it um, right at the start of our series when we talked about um, loving our neighbours because the context of this story is is all about understanding who our neighbour is. Um, and this is the story that Jesus told. So it's in Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 25 to 37. I'm going to read it out of the message just to uh, mix it up a little bit. Okay, so this is the context, um, and the section is called Defining Neighbour. Just then, a religious scholar stood up with a question to test Jesus. Teacher, what do I need to do to get eternal life? He answered, what's written in the law? How do you interpret it? He said that you love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and muscle and intelligence, and that you love your neighbour as well as you do yourself. Good answer, said Jesus. Do it and you'll live. Looking for a loophole, he asked, and just how would you define neighbour? Jesus answered by telling a story. There was, a, there was once a man travelling from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the way, he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, beat him up and went off, leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road. But when he saw him, he angled across to the other side. Then a Levite um, religious man showed up. He also avoided the injured man. A Samaritan travelling the road came, on him, um, came uh, upon him when he saw um, the man's condition. His heart went out to him. 
He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. Then he lifted him onto his donkey, led him to an inn and made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out... um, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you on my way back. What do you think? Which of the three became a neighbour to the man attacked by the robbers? The one who treated him kindly, the, religious, uh, the religion scholar responded. Jesus said, Go and do the same. So when we talk about this whole idea of what um, what does it look like to be a stranger in a scenario and what is our responsibility? That story is amazing. Um, because the reality is when, I suppose, when Jesus was, was trying to be tricked by this religious scholar, um, the question that Jesus threw back at him is, what does it say in God's law? He said that you love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and muscle and intelligence and that you love your neighbour as well as yourself, as well as you do yourself. And I suppose this whole concept of we looked at neighbours being uh, a more wider connection, people that we just come across in our lives that we don't choose necessarily, but neighbours are people who exist within our sphere that we live in. Um, and I suppose in a way, um, the, the, the difference between a neighbour in that context and a stranger is about frequency of connection that a neighbour becomes a neighbour because we probably either work with them or live close to them, we see them on a regular basis. A stranger might be someone that just comes across our path within our life, but the fact is they are in our world and they are people that we walk past, they are people that we, that we see and that we come across. Uh, and what that story does brilliantly is challenge this whole concept of don't, don't discount yourself as being the person that could step in and do something. And I don't know whether any of you remember, but quite a few months ago, probably about a year ago, we looked at this story, The Good Samaritan, in quite a lot of depth. And we, we looked at um, what Rob Bella talked about in his book, What is the Bible, to do with this story. And there's some quite amazing um, stuff that we understand about Jesus uh, as, he, as he talks about this story. And one of the most um, astounding things is that there's, there's, a, there's an element of humour and irony in what Jesus is saying in this story. So it's a parable, so he's, telling, he's, he's making up a story um, to illustrate a point. And the interesting thing about this is Jesus does this throwaway comment of, oh, there was a man um, who was journeying from, where is it, from Jericho to Jerusalem or the other way, um, one way or the other. Uh, let's see what it says. Um, yeah, there was a, once a man travelling from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, what we think is, okay, so a man's on a journey. Fine, I get that. We picture in our heads and we see, we we picture this whole story unfolding before our eyes. The reality is everyone standing there listening knows the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Everyone, this is why Jesus, Jesus used that as an example, because everyone there knows what it's like to travel from Jerusalem to Jericho. And the irony of the situation is the road that Jesus is describing is a single track road with a cliff on one side, um, a, cliff, a cliff face on one side and a drop on the other. It's a single track. So when we begin to understand that, wait a minute, Jesus is, is telling this story about a road that everyone knows and they know that it's only room for one person to walk along this road. So when this story unfolds and you begin to understand the context of what Jesus is saying, there's almost a little bit of humour in there as, as he describes, oh, so, yes, yeah, so this guy's beaten up and he's left half dead 
Uh, and then this priest comes along and uh, what he does is he crosses to the other side of the road. There is no other side of the road. So you can imagine the kind of mutterings of um, a little bit of kind of chuckling and giggling as, as the irony of what Jesus is saying, that, that the Levite and the priest didn't cross over to the other side of the road. They literally had to step over this guy's half-dead body in order to get past. So it, it kind of really exasperates the point, it accentuates the point by saying this isn't, a, a kind of, oh, there's something awkward going on here. Maybe I'll just avoid the situation. This is a, a kind of blunt decision to definitely not help someone and actually step over their, their half-dead body. So, um, so, so you see that actually Jesus is really taking the mick in a lot of ways by saying, oh, yeah, obviously what he did was step but he crossed over to the other side of the road so that he could avoid the situation. And you can imagine the response of the crowd as he tells this story. But, but the reason he does it is because he wants to make the point clear that the people that you would expect to be the ones to step in and help the stranger in that moment were the ones who failed the stranger. Uh, and actually... Jesus is challenging this concept. We'll look at a passage um, towards the end of the talk, which kind of accentuates this again, that sometimes it's the people that we perceive to be the most in as far as uh, keeping to the rules and living, kind of living the holy life in inverted commas, that, that sometimes are the ones that, that step over the scenario where some obvious help is actually needed. So Jesus was, was, was making a really blunt point by telling this story um, and obviously then the flip side of it is not only does he does he highlight the the failure of the two people you would expect um, who are the most holy people in the scenario you'd expect to be the answer not only does he highlight their failure he then throws this huge curveball in by choosing um, a Samaritan who who is the level of hatred towards Samaritans in that culture, in that country at that time, was off the charts. Now, we've, we've turned this into a wonderful children's story where, where no one really knows who the Samaritan is. He just comes from a different country. Whereas Jesus chose someone who was despised and hated. It's almost kind of, if we imagine the, the people we'd be the most uncomfortable to spend time with, whether, uh, I don't want to get into the trap of, of listing and the kind of characters it would be. It would be different people for all of us. But if we imagine the people who are absolutely vilified and detested in our society today as being people where there is no good, in them whatsoever that's who jesus chose to be the savior in this story and you look at it and go man he this isn't just a, a story i mean lucy loves this story we read it at bedtime sometimes she's got this book called the stories jesus told and it's called the good stranger and she loves reading it and as i'm reading the the palatable version that's in her children's storybook it, it, you realise that there is a depth and a, and a detail to this story that Jesus was trying to make a really epic point by saying the very worst, the very dregs of society are the people who, uh, if they were to step in and help you, then that is the kind of scenario I'm saying, what, who is your neighbour? What, what does this scenario look like? So, so when we understand the depth of this story, 
it really challenges that question of what is our unique role with the people that we don't know. And, and actually, it sometimes creates this slight air of, un, of, of things being slightly uncomfortable that, that if, it's, if it's that kind of person, ooh, I could never step in to help them because look who they are, look what they've done. What would people think of me? All of these kind of things if I stepped in and helped them. But actually, Jesus is saying that is what is required. If you want eternal life, and, and, and we need to remember this fact because when, when Jesus talks about eternal life in here, he's not talking about the afterlife. And, and the problem is nowadays we understand most of the, t- the teachings of Jesus and what the Bible says in terms of what our greater understanding of all of these concepts are now in the 21st century. But the, the fact is, in Bible times, when you talked about this term eternal life, it wasn't about the afterlife. It wasn't about life after death and, and getting to heaven. And, and so the question wasn't, how do I get to heaven? The question was, how do I live a life now that is eternal, that has eternal values, that has the values of heaven in it now on earth? So if you want to live life in its fullest, in the way that God intended. If you want to live a life that is in tune and in line with God now, which is what they're talking about in ancient times when they say the word eternal life, how can I live a life of true fulfilment, fully connected with God now in this moment? This is what I need to do. So the problem is we've changed it to be a ticket, a golden ticket that gives us an opportunity to look, look around God's marvellous factory. Um, that's what we've changed it into. How can I, if I do this good thing for a stranger, then I can get my ticket to eternal life. It's not talking about that. It's talking about how can I live a life now that is completely connected to God and that makes a difference and means I'm living life to its fullest now. I'm squeezing everything good out of life now. And that's what um, Jesus is saying, because if it's just about eternal life, it's just about getting your ticket, what happens is we'll go, well, it doesn't matter about now. As long as I do that at some point in my life, then I'll earn the right to get my ticket and go to heaven. And actually, that's not what this is about. It's about how do I do life um, to its fullest now? And, and the question would be, why wouldn't you want to live life to its fullest now? Why would you put that off if it's about getting the best experience of, what, of everything God intended for life? So when when Jesus talks about that stuff, that is what he's talking about, that this life is there for you to enjoy, not when you die. Yeah, that is the reality, but it's there for you you to enjoy now and live now. Um, And that's what he was talking about. So so the the lengths that the Samaritan goes to is the picture and the example of of this is what it looks like for someone to genuinely become love and love without an agenda. And that's what the Samaritan does. The Samaritan loves the man without an agenda. And sometimes that's the challenge, isn't it? That we see a need in front of us. And and maybe we don't see needs in front of us with people that we don't know. And maybe what we're doing there is we're describing the temptation and the, the, the trap of falling into distance. And we we just tune ourselves out of noticing someone that might actually need help. And I suppose that's uh, that's the other thing with with agenda. When when we do decide to do something and help someone and step in for someone, uh, and you can see this especially within. Uh, I think I've been a Christian my entire life, and with so many um, church type of projects or or ministries, um, 
what you can sometimes find is is we can do some amazing things for people who need help. But often agenda can add this element into that where it's genuinely a good heart. We want to change people's lives. We want to help them. We want to pick them up if they're on the floor. But sometimes we add conditions that mean, um, yes, we will help you as long as you do X, Y and Z. As long as you're prepared to do your part of the bargain. Uh, And when we reach out to someone who we don't know, especially if we're picking them up off the floor, we can be tempted to make our help and investment conditional. So it might be that we say, we will help you, but you need to understand that you now need to change. And the problem is, I'm not sure that that is loving without an agenda, because the agenda is clear that, yes, I am happy. I'm willing to step in and help you. Uh, It may be someone who has problems with addiction. And that what we want to see is that if we help them, that they're going to stop. Now, the reality is, if you've ever experienced anyone who's got an issue with addiction, it's not a simple is that or someone I, I saw a situation the other day a guy talking on uh, preaching on on a little clip on the internet and he was talking about mental health stuff and to be honest he was so flippant in the way he was talking about it and it almost felt like he was treating it like oh well well actually if we just do this i get down and i feel di- i find things difficult um and he's just saying but but we just need to do this and i'm just like man you do not understand that this is something that people will battle with for every single day that they are alive. And you can't just treat it like, oh, well, it's simple, isn't it? You've just got to choose to speak victory. And he was saying you've just got to choose to speak victory. And I was like, man, I'm sure everyone with depression would love to speak victory and it go away. But the fact is it's not always the case for people because it is a battle that that... Sometimes it's, it's harder some days than others. And it's not to say we don't believe it can be overcome. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we've got to keep hold of this belief that, yeah, we can be stronger and we can, we can find ways of, of overcoming that stuff. But it's not something that we can just say, oh, well, obviously, if, you, if we're going to help you, then what we want is for you just to be positive uh, and then just stop doing that stuff. And, and then you can move forward and be better. As a result, come on, we've got to be people who our agenda is to be is, is not to be expecting everything to change, but to be committed to loving that person, whether they're finding stuff easy or difficult and whether that keeps changing and, and becoming uh, becoming uh, like a roller coaster of experiences for them. Consistency is what we're called to uh, in that moment. So agenda has lots of different ways of coming in and affecting our connection with people that we don't know. Um, And if our offer of help hinges on the person's ability to change, then we can sometimes be people who discount someone due to our assessment of whether they're able to change or not. And that's the thing where it gets a bit heartbreaking, that if we decide that that person just isn't doing what we think they needed to do, then we can sometimes say, well, I'm not sure it's worth all of the effort. And that's the, that's the stuff where you begin to go, come on, we can't fall into the trap of treat, treating people like that. And when there's no depth of relationship there, because these are people that we don't know, there isn't that depth of relationship. It can be harder to persevere and keep going with it. So what does loving strangers without an agenda actually look like? Well, it's about choosing to keep our eyes open and seeing the needs around us. And I don't know about you, I, I, I've become a master at various points in my life of not seeing the needs of people around me. 
um, not seeing the needs of those distant connections because do you know what sometimes it's easy just to get what I need to get done if I almost tunnel my vision around the things that are important for me to try and know another challenge is don't leave it to someone else my, my question to myself all the time with all of this stuff is if I see a need and I don't do something about it if I believe God is is has got a purpose for me in this world and I don't bother responding to needs then if I don't do it then what if no one does it what if 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 a connection with God is meant to open my eyes to the needs of other people and meant to nudge me in what is important to God in those moments if I don't don't do it what if no one else does uh like I just that is the weight of responsibility I think sometimes in these situations now luckily there's some amazing people in this world who will see needs and will step out and you you only have to watch some of the programs on TV of people stepping in for those in need and those in crisis and those struggling and I love the fact um, that that people do that and and you know what I see God working in those situations regardless of whether it's a faith-based thing or not sometimes really get this great sense of delight of seeing that that humans can respond to the nudges of God whether they realise they're doing that or not um, and stre- stretching out a hand and, and reaching out to other people so it's, it's understanding that, that, that actually we can be the answer um, and being keen and willing to step forward and do that uh, meeting needs um, we need to understand could just sometimes be a temporary connection this is not about us having the pressure of having to develop loads more relationships it might be that actually there's just a window of time where you can step into someone else's world do something um, that changes a moment for them and you might never see them again or you you might never have a proper conversation with them again you might just say hello to them every now and then it's not about them owing you because you've stepped in and helped but it's about you just having a value that says do you know what if i can do something that impacts your world i'll do it and as we just talked about avoid the temptation of expectation avoid it being about you needing to be thanked or acknowledged for what you're doing avoid the temptation of it needing to be that now i've done this for you there needs to be an open door for me to now speak into your life because of it or uh, the expectation being that that now because I've done this for you, you need to change your behaviour. Yeah, wouldn't it be amazing if someone pulled themselves out of a really difficult situation because we gave them a, a step up and a start? But also it shouldn't be that, that the criteria is that we'll only do this if you promise to change. Um, and that is a test, isn't it? It's a test of our agenda. And I suppose what we're talking about ultimately is what does loving strangers without an agenda look like? It's us attempting to connect with the heart of God and be attentive to his nudges as we go through our daily lives. There's an amazing passage um, in the book of Matthew. Um, It's Matthew 25, um, verses 31 to 45. So it's a few verses. I'm just going to read it to you. Um, uh, And it's Jesus talking about this... It's probably worth us properly unpacking another time. But it's a section called The Sheep and the Goats. And it's Jesus talking um, to some people. He's just told uh, a few stories and a few parables to explain some stuff. Uh, But this is what he talks about uh, in this section called The Sheep and the Goats. Uh, It's it's, uh, Matthew 25, verse 31. 
When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did you see um, um, when did we see you uh, sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So it's a powerful passage. But, but what it's actually talking about is similar to the concept that's described in the Good Samaritan. That it's talking about this idea of the sheep and the goats are separating people into two camps, not to um, the people who are holy and all good and, and nice and done all of the right things by the law and wear the right clothes and all these kind of things. The criteria is changed. It's suddenly saying, actually, do you know what? This is about what did you, when did you step in? and help the people who were in need, regardless of whether you had a relationship, whether they were close to you, whether they were wider connections, whether they were, um, whether they were the closest people in your life, or whether they were completely distant connections. Jesus is saying, actually, um, that, that when you did that stuff for people, you did that for me. Uh, and I think the interesting thing is, it's not even the case of imagining that each person who needs help could be Jesus so out of duty we should step in and help them because imagine that they could be Jesus it's actually more about us honing our ability to see that the divine that God is in is already in each of those interactions each of those encounters each conversation each environment each person each event that we sit in god is in those moments so it's not imagining in order to imagining that what if jesus was there we've got to see that god is in this stuff already he's in people and and so when we step in and meet the needs of someone who is who is crying out for help we are actually meeting uh, the needs of someone who has Jesus in them, whether they realise it or not. If, if we're all made in the image of God, then we've got to respond to people like they are, 
not imagine it was Jesus. So really, I should. Uh, I should. I'm obliged to help because what if that was Jesus there? No, they're made in the image of God. And, and we've got to see the divine is there, sat in all of these opportunities, all of these moments. And that's what love could look like with people that we don't know. It's a huge challenge, but my, my question always is to myself is, if I don't do it, who's going to do it? If God is, is, gonna, is t- talking to me about who I need to be, surely I'm, I'm the person that needs to step in and do that. And the idea would be that loads of us do it, so it's not down to one person to always do it. Actually, if we develop a culture that says we're all um, keen and ready and willing and able to respond to the needs of people that we come across, then, then actually what a message of hope we bring into people's worlds when we do that. So we're just going to finish... Uh, as we have been doing, but just by taking some space to consider our approach to people that we don't know. Um, How could a gender be creating that distance between us and other people? Uh, What adjustments might we need to make and what might the Holy Spirit want to say to us about um, our focus and our perspective in our lives? So let's just take um, two minutes, have a little think about it and then I'll pray. Father God, we thank you for the life of Jesus and the uh, the example that he gave to us in the way that he lived his life, but also in the stories that he told and the challenges that he gave. And as we, we read some of these stories and, and read the things that, that he talks about, God, I pray that we would become more and more attentive to the message of Jesus and the the responsibility that he gives us. If we choose to follow him, this is what it looks like. I just pray that you would give us courage, give us uh, bravery, give us a perspective that helps us to see the needs of those who we might not know, but maybe we encounter at various points, maybe just in, in a one-off moment. God, I pray that if, if there's a, a need that can be met, that we would be people who'd be aware, even if it's just a nudge, uh, that you give us the courage to speak out and... Uh, and offer that help, offer that support, and step in and be uh, your representative in that moment. Without an agenda, without requirements, without conditions, uh, God, I pray that you would uh, help us to step in and and be an image of you uh, to those people in need. So just be with us now. Amen. Amen. Mm.